0: Kathy Grace loves this part of the thing. Well, you know all the questions are going to be for her, right? Yeah, exactly. I'll just sit up here and look good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) There's a long one for you. Should I read it and you answer them all, Kathy Grace? All right. Sure.
1: Let's bring it. So
0: how can Christians reach a family member or someone we love who is caught up in gay or transgendered lifestyle, but does not believe in God or has rejected God? How can we witness, let's see, start there. Uh, That's a very, very good question, most common question, actually, because this fits more people than not, because we have people who are dealing with loved ones. We have a hope group, much like Harry and Caroline had brought up, at Portland Fellowship and honestly the biggest of course as harry says there are no deliberate direct answers but pointing people to the lord and so i would first say of course prayer to be in prayer for those people i think we would know that as the starting point but then after this i think there's power much like the video that i played in being able to sit down with someone and hearing their life story To be a good empathic listener. An empathic listener is someone that not only listens to what they're saying out of their mouth, but potentially what they're feeling behind it as well. And you don't have to be expert counselors in that, just be paying attention to that. And so then even the questions that come about to further explore their lives is a great place and a great way to bring things to the surface. Once things are at the surface bring those things even more into the light again not for the sake of trying to corner them but the sake of being truth up bringing reality bring their true identity and who God designed them to be to the surface and so just briefly when I was going downtown uh, years ago with Multnomah students we went to the gay community to witness and one thing that I did was simply just go and listen to people who were on the streets and at that point I met someone who tried to pick me up and I wasn't of course going to Go off with them at anywhere, but I sat there and just asked them simple questions like, "How are you? How are you doing? What are you doing down here?" And he'd kind of give vague answers. At one point, he says, "You know, I'm 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 not 21 yet, so I can't go in the bars, and so I'm just walking around outside." He was three days away from his 21st birthday, so God gave brought him into the into that path. And at that point, I said, "I'm just curious. Is your ultimate goal in life to be married to some guy that is like in this community?" Completely freaked him out. (laughs) Like what? I said oh i'm serious is that where you're you're heading and he goes no i don't want that and i go "Well, what do you want what is it you ultimately desire in life and then in that birth on a a series of of questions conversations we took him back home the group that i was with long story short the the guy uh, went to came to portland fellowship he went through the program at portland fellowship he then got on our ministry team eventually he got married and i was in his wedding as his best man and then he was in my wedding as one of my best men. I had two of them. And uh, he has two children now and walking with the Lord. And uh, here all it started was just being available, listening, and asking reflective questions, not to try to corner or debate, but just to hear their life story.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
0: You can do the next one. How can we witness in a way that doesn't ruin that the relationship or compromise our Christian values?
1: Um, I think being upfront with them as far as where you are um, you know it's a fine line um, and Jason can probably really speak to this more but for me it's a fine line coming up to that point saying I love you but this is where I draw the line because this is what I believe I don't believe that you were born this way I don't yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's now listen, hard. And, and here I, I love Jesus' model in this. So if we can model him, we're good to go. Right now, what he did, and if I'm reading the scriptures right, is he, he has a three pronged approach. I'm simplifying it, of course, but he always, always, always just met people where they're at. Mm-hmm. So he met the woman at the well. He met the tax collector. He met the woman that's being stoned to death. <laughs> Whatever. it's like he's just there connects with them. Personal connection. The second thing he always does in this order is he dispenses some measure of grace, right? Or does something for him? Gives them water. He feeds them. He heals them. He gives him gives them opportunity to to be brought back from the dead. I don't care whatever the grace may be. He extends it. And then the third thing he always does at the end is he brings truth or instruction. Go get in the de- baptized, or de- go dunk yourself in the Jordan. Go and sin no more. Sell all you have and give to your, give to the poor. There's always instruction. So I think if we think in those terms, let's meet people where they're at. Now let's not hurry this along. Stay in step with the Spirit of God, right? So the Spirit of God, if it's to meet them, meet them. Maybe it's for a moment. Maybe it's for a year. I don't know. Listen to the Spirit of God. The second thing is, are you giving grace? Are you extending grace? Are you doing a favor? Are you helping them out? Are they moving? Help them move. They need some some object that you have, give it to them. Give the coat off your whatever. Bless the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and every other unbeliever on this planet to connect with them and show the grace of God. That's what God does, right? And it's kindness that leads to repentance. So be kind. (laughs) Show kindness. Don't get into debates and theological arguments. However, the third thing he never voided was truth or instruction. And that might be right away in the conversation, or it might be five years later. I don't know, but God does. So don't hurry that along, but always have a prayer heart of those three things with everyone you meet. That will protect your Christian witness, because that's what Jesus did.
1: Okay, I got Great. Um, Along with that is, if you go in with the attitude that you're going to be the one that brings them to Christ please don't bother, because you've just made it about you. And it's really not about them. So if you're going in with that attitude, I'm going to be Jesus to them, and they're going to get saved, and this and this and this, yeah, that doesn't work because they know it. And all that does is heap shame on them. Because to a degree, you put an expectation on them that they can't meet. Maybe they don't want to meet that. The other thing, too, is I would encourage is, look beyond what they're doing because that's not who they are look to who they are and speak into that and call them into that place.
0: Do we want to do another? All right how can I as a high school teacher help to be a part of the solution? I have three transgender students and many others who are gay. Okay you have to answer that one now.
1: I would say it kind of goes along with what we've already been saying, is affirm who they are and not what they're doing. Meet them where they're at, listen to them, talk with them. You know, sometimes it's as easy as taking them for ice cream, figuring out what their favorite color is. Because they, they, they honestly, I know for myself, I just wanted to be known and I wanted to be loved. And I had the wrong idea as far as what that needed to look like to get those things. And I'm sure that's what they're thinking too. This is the way I am, and this is the way it is, because I need these things. I was at a um, high school, uh, it's called a like high school, early college, and I was on a Q&A panel for that, and a boy stood up and he said, well, I have transgender fans, and I'm gay, and this and that, and what do you think about that? And I said, well, I think part of that you're deceived, and we had this whole thing out there, and afterwards, he didn't like my answer, so he came and confronted me. And he said, I want you to know that, that the way you answered that question was hurtful. You did this, and you did that, and it was personal, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I said, okay, okay, wait. You asked a very general question, and I gave you a ver- very general answer. It was not personal, and it was not meant towards you. He said, well, but I have transgender friends, and they're happy. And I said, I get it. I get it. I was transgender for 11 years, and I was happy, and I had tons of friends. He's like, well, but they, and they go to church. I'm like, okay, and I went to church. I, I totally understand where your transgender friends are at. However, I came into the truth. So now not only am I happy, but I'm also free. And he's like, oh. Well, but they're happy. They're, they're happy. They're happy being transgender, and they're in the church. And I said, right. And I said, but here's the deal. They're in the church, and they're also deceived. No, they're not deceived. They go to church. And I said, well, people who go to church are deceived. They can be deceived. He's like, no, that, that can't be. I said, okay, let's do this. Let's take the whole sexual component out of that, okay? So when you go to church, say you do something wrong. Do you think that God still loves you, that he still cares for you the same when you've done something, you've made a bad choice, you've done something wrong? Does he still love you? He's like, no. And I said, see, you're deceived. Because he does. He still loves you. He's like, oh, oh. So I spent like 20 minutes with him battling this out. I Didn't want to. (laughs) But I found out later, I got a text later from the leader saying he stood up and accepted Christ. And it's because I met him where he was at. I battled with truth. I didn't come at him. I just said, okay, yeah, I get it. And this is the truth. This is what Jesus can do.
0: That's awesome. One, one, One additional component to this type of question, which is, again, a common question. And the reason why I spend an hour pretty much everywhere I go talking about the roots to sexual and relational brokenness is for this very reason. You as a teacher shouldn't have to deal with the gay, lesbian, transgender element. It's a symptom. It's just, that's, and you're not allowed to, frankly, so honor your rules. But you have every right to deal with the underlying issues, the needs of these kids, the relational deficits, the abuse. If you have opportunity to sit with the gay gay kids or transgender kids, it's like, Tell me, I got some time at lunch. Will you tell me about your your childhood? Tell me about your life. Tell me about how things are going. What are your dreams and hopes and, and plans? When you enter into that space and understand, I really hope more than anything, you walk away with the idea and understanding that this is not a sexual issue. It's not about these labels. It's about a genuine heartfelt need, and we have the solution. It's both found in one another's and in the Lord. And when we have opportunity to communicate that in any way, shape, or form gently and carefully without some I'm going to fix you motive, we really can begin to minister beautiful things. And God uses that. And the question, I guess, is, well, how? How do I see someone who's gay and lesbian? How do I even respond to that? Well, A, the stuff I just talked about. But the other big glaring issue is that every single human being was made in the image of God, right? Right? The Imago Day. Not everyone is a child of God until they're adopted in, but we're all made in the image of God. So then move beyond the labels and the brokenness and all the history and all the stuff and look at the kids and say, how do I see God's image in you? Because right. he's there. And how does that show up? It shows up through relationship, through creativity, through creation, creating, if you will through artistic things, through intellect. These are all characteristics that God has given us that we are made in the image of it. Celebrate those things, go to town on those things, have fun, bless those kids, rather than feel like you got to fix the gay part of things. All right. You're welcome to read one out loud. If you want. Okay. Go for
1: it. If we are born in sin, can't they be born gay?
0: Uh, no. No. Uh, here's the reason why and here's the reason why we're all born into sin which means we're all susceptible to the enemy and to falling short of the glory of God how that happens in what Avenue as I shared earlier is depending on your vulnerabilities your personalities and influences in our culture so for someone who lived a gay life because they were have a deep deficit for male attention and connection in their life that same exact kid born exactly the same way had a very affectionate father had a community of men that blessed him and he felt the empowering of himself as a man and didn't struggle with homosexuality they're not born gay but we're all born with the propensity of falling into all sorts of things that try to meet this if you as i said a god-shaped hole to complete ourselves to repair the wounds and the needs so those are two different things all sin but nobody is, born, nobody is born a gambling addict. <laughs> nobody is born a, the problem with our culture is they're taking gay label and making it intrinsically your identity. And that's the, that's the lie. That's not your identity. That is a symptom of a deeper need. And so you have to understand that concept before then we can go in and, and repair and, and fix and allow God to redeem it.
1: Why do you use the term broken instead of sinner? Okay. So I was thinking about this as he was answering the other question because I wanted to be prepared. Um, and, and the thing that kept going through my mind is that broken means just that, it's broken. And when it's broken, it's unusable. It can't be used, right? And the picture that I got in my head was a leg and this leg became broken. And what happens is we give it things to, to heal it. We cast it. We take care of it. We make sure that we don't put too much pressure on it. And then we begin re- rehabilitation when it's necessary to help that leg mend. Now, is that a sin? Having a broken leg, is that a sin? No, it's broken. So it's just like our emotions. Our emotions get broken because we don't know how to function, Right? do we commit sin because our emotions are broken yes we do but that's a byproduct of the deeper thing that that happened it's just like my my leg didn't get broken because of sin okay but it did need to heal for it to become functional again and it's just like our heart our heart gets broken again do we look for the things to fix it yes does that create sin yes but my broken heart isn't sin it's broken and it needs to be mended. Great answer. (laughs) I (laughs) I had time to think.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna take notes. (laughs) (laughs) To add to that one question, sometimes people use the word cure, like Portland Fellowship cures people of homosexuality. We don't use that term, same similar kind of thinking through it as cure implies that there is a disease. And homosexuality is not a disease to eradicate or to find a pill to make the, the gay go away, but rather, brokenness that allows healing to take in person's life so I appreciate the question because I, I have a I personally have an issue with with groups and people that avoid the words sin it's like no it's it it's sin but only when it is sin so when I was struggling deeply with the connection with with a, with a man just like Kathy Grace was saying that wasn't sin it's a legitimate need now the question is will I sin with that legitimate need Or will I take that legitimate need to the Lord and receive his healing? What do we do when we get attacked for our beliefs?
1: Eat chocolate. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, that's always a fun one, and I guess it depends on the attack. Um, I really try not to take things personal because they're not. They're attacking as far as the truth that I have. They're attacking the truth that's in me. They are attacking the truth that I walk in. And to some degree, I, I kind of rejoice because it, it lets me know, wow, you see truth in me and you don't like it. I'm sorry that that's offensive, but you see truth in me and, and that helps me to keep going. Um, sometimes it requires a response. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you just go, yeah, okay, that's, that's what you think. Great. Great. I got an email, um, it came through the website, they wanted my email, they wanted to contact me, Jason forwarded it, and so I responded back, hey, yeah, if you wanna talk to me, here's my email address. So I get this email back, and they had seen my video, I'm in a documentary, and my testimony's out there on YouTube, and I don't know if they saw the documentary or the YouTube video, but they had watched something. And so they proceeded to send me this email back, a very long response, telling me how I needed to forgive. And that the, I needed to forgive my dad so I can continue on. And I need to learn how to forgive people so I can continue to walk in my truth. And I'm thinking, wow, I've been doing this for 25 years. I think I've done a little forgiveness. But they sent me, no kidding, a 20-page lesson teaching on forgiveness and how to do that. Now, that felt like a very personal attack because I'm like, you don't know me. You have no idea what I've walked through or walked out of. And so my response to this will be, um, I haven't yet, but I will. I'm going to read the lesson so I can speak to it, but I'm going to respond back and I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say about the lesson, whether it was good or I got some great tips out of there, but also to let them know, you know what? Yes, I lived as a man for 11 years, but I've been out of that for 25, and I'm sorry that you don't know me well enough to see all the forgiveness that I have done so that they can see that, you know what, I, I have done these things. Your lesson's confirmed that I did it right. And, um, but I wanted them to know that just because you see something in the video doesn't mean that it's true of that person or that's the complete story.
0: I actually feel empowered and emboldened by when I'm attacked for my faith because I truly believe in my heart that it's not me they hate, it's Jesus. That's the intention is that they, I'm communicating something well. If the opposite were happening and the world, that is that system and values and culture, the world actually started to applaud me, I would grow deeply concerned. (laughs) Be like, why is the world okay with what I'm doing? And I saw that actually happen with Exodus International when the world system began to applaud Exodus for making decisions and communicating things that finally ended up being heretical and imploding the ministry, and so my whole point in saying this is, even Jesus says, "You will have troubles in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world." It is He that that they truly are also ultimately against, not us. And so there is an emboldeningness, but how we deal with it is really the, the the more challenging question. And at the ministry, I receive. Uh, plenty, more so in the past years, not so recently, emails, hate, hateful e- emails. And as I mentioned, I respond to every single one of them because it's a great opportunity to extend compassion and grace and reflection and truth uh, to every single person that's, that's angry with me or in denial and <coughs> or in deception. And I, uh, I'm, I'm always amazed by the responses, almost always, if most of my, I actually do a class on this and I print them all up because I've saved them all. And so I read the emails to the class and then we go around the room and go, how would you respond to this? Why would you respond? And of course, there's some people who are like, shut up. You know, <laughs> it's like, why are you emailing me? Mind your own business or you're going to hell, you know, or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> um, but, but it's fascinating to be able to, to flip it on its end and find ways to bless them agree with them wherever possible it's like oh yeah i i would definitely feel that way if i were you too and here's why because certain ministries have done so and so and so and so so if you're reflecting on those i agree with you and you and i will will speak against that type of behavior so i'm aligning not lining myself with sin. i'm not trying to be manipulating i'm looking for opportunities to go how can we connect on this? Because what you're seeing and how you're perceiving things are not entirely true, but I understand, it's like I say, getting into their shoes a little bit and go, okay, I see it from your angle. Identifying that, addressing that, having a little empathy about it. Again, for, the, for a lot of people, especially parents, you re- can wrestle with this feeling of, am I enabling them? Does it sound like I'm blessing them? No, you're blessing the good things. You're calling out the injustice you're bringing truth in agreement with whatever element of truth they, they are communicating but then it brings it into correction so I will agree with the anger and the bitterness and it's they way off like you're destroying kids lives and I would reply something like absolutely if we were destroying kids life I would be against me too I would hope that if you saw anything that you'd bring it to my attention right away anything in print or in reading that would hurt people I have 100% with you on that and, and I'm glad that this is how we respond to kids, that we give them freedom to make these choices and not pressure them, et cetera, et cetera. And so by the time I'm done with these emails, when they reply back, generally speaking, we're on the same page. They actually thank me. They, they would say things in the email like, I had no idea. I, I had a misunderstanding about you. I, one person actually got to the place of, I want to come in and, and, and learn more about the ministry. It was extremely hostile at the beginning, and at the end, it was like, I think you have something I, I would want to come to. Uh, so I guess the, the point of this, in this whole thing, is we need to not be offended by the attack, expect it, because it's going to happen, but then respond in grace and love.
1: On the word says, too, that it's the kindness that leads them to repentance. Okay.
0: Let's do it. <laughs> can you speak to the issue of whether or not to attend a gay wedding, dun-dun-dun?
1: <sighs> well, I, oh, you can do it, huh? No. Um, <laughs> That's really hard. Personally, I would say no. Um, I was asked to a gay wedding. Unfortunately, I just happened to be giving my testimony on that same day, so I couldn't go. Um, But uh, that's a struggle because I'm going to stick with my answer, no, don't go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll expand just a tad. I I personally wouldn't go as well. I'm not in the position, I want the caveat, of having a child that I dearly love that is in this situation that's about ready to go to a wedding and invited me. So with that said, it's kind of like a single person giving marital advice. I'm like, (laughs) you know, I can't quite go there. However, I thought through this to some degree to recognize that attending a wedding is a sense of blessing something, is to stand in agreement to something, and I cannot do it. But my desire is to uphold love, and to show them that I'm approachable, lovable, and grace-filled. So how do I mix these two? Whether or not the inviting couple uh, appreciates this, this is still how I would respond to it. I would decline the invitation to the wedding, but I would ask them if I could spend time with them after or before the wedding. So I could just spend time with them as people, but because of my convictions, because I believe in the 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 power and and what is happening, the the, the joy that comes with marriage, and more importantly, what it symbolizes. The marriage symbolizes Christ and the church. It symbolizes God and his people. It symbolizes the coming back and the union of one, becoming one flesh union, man and woman, to procreate, to give life, to extend life. Because of this, these things, I can't endure something that's in opposition to his will, out of my conviction, but I want to extend it with, but I want to spend time with you as people. So it's communicating, that's how I would pr- attach it is like, you know I love you because I wanna hang with you, I'm not rejecting you, I just can't go to this event. One other time too is I've been addressed with a former staff member that decided to fall into deception years ago. And she emailed me saying, I don't agree with what you guys do anymore, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I replied to her, I said, I, this is a lot of pressure on me to figure out how to respond to you who made this new choice in your life. So I would like it, if you could please tell me, knowing my convictions, knowing my faith, and knowing my testimony, would you please tell me how I should respond to you? I mean, no no negotiation on conviction, uh, faith, and my, my own story. That's not being challenged, no foundational stuff. With all that in place, how should I respond to you? Her reply was, that's a very good question. I will get back to you when I figure <laughs> it out. That was about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So things like that. I wanna show you, I love you I, and we're in a dilemma and there's some tension here and let's work through this but I, I can compromise and yet I wanna show 100% grace. So it, it, it is that opportunity to balance those two things without compromising your conviction.
1: Have you heard of the following terms/slash biological studies? How do you say that? Anagram test. Anagram test. Kleinfelter syndrome. Kleinfelter syndrome. extra chromosome. You would probably
0: know more about that. Yeah, I don't know a ton about it. I've done a little study. My daughter was born with hypoplastic, lef, uh, pl- hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and in the process, was doing study and genetic testing for Down syndrome, because if she had both, then the surgery options and tra- heart transplant would make it far more difficult. So we learned about these type of things even more so beyond school here. But when I'm looking at these kind of elements when I'm and, and talking about uh, gender deformity, physical, physiological gender disfor- deformity, generally speaking, we are not talking about gender and sexuality. So more often than not, for hermaphrodites and people with extra chromosomes are not struggling with gender issues. And so the problem with a question like this, no offense to even the question, it's a great question, in the sense of it's used as a way to try to say this is a born issue. Now, we live in a fallen world. We're all going to be born. There's some people may be born blind, right? We know this scripturally speaking. And no one sinned because of that. When we have chromosomal issues that we're born with, we have to maybe contend with them. But it's usually not a stepping stone to defend homosexuality or transgender issue. It's simply not there's simply not a connection there from my understanding.
1: So I spent time with the ministry um, in uh, actually February. I traveled with them and one of the guys that was there actually has Kleinfelder's syndrome. and I was asking him questions about it. I'm like, so how does that affect you and your sexuality and you know, do you struggle with being gay? And he's like, well, I do struggle with being gay, but this extra chromosome has nothing to do with it. And I said, well, how do you know? And he goes, because, you know, I see the the void of my dad's relationship with me, and he went through all the roots that we talked about today. And he said, so my extra chromosome, he goes, in fact, I didn't even know I had it until like five years ago when I went to the doctor. And he said, hey, are you aware that you have this syndrome? And he's like, nope. And so for him, he didn't even know that was true of him, and he's, he struggled with being gay, but he didn't take that, okay, now I have this, so that has to be the reason why I was gay, because he'd already worked through all of his relational issues and come out of a lifestyle, so he was like, that was, I didn't even know about it, so it couldn't have been a factor.
0: In the areas of sexual brokenness, all shades and flavors, right, <laughs> <Those> flavors, <laughs> is there, like the rainbow, right? Yeah, right? Is there a statistic on how often it returns, meaning I imagine the struggle it returns when one becomes married? Mm-hmm. So someone's broken, they walk through a process of healing, and then they get married, and you're wondering, did it, does it come back? I'm assuming that's, that's the question, which would be me. I'm married, and it comes <laughs> could come back. I think this is my honest answer is when you walk in healing and transformation and you embrace the truth about who you are and you continue to walk in that process, the old is just not desirable. It's simply not desirable. When you get married, you get a whole new set of problems. I know I'm married. (laughs) A whole new (laughs) set of problems. They're not generally this. Now, with that said, is that guaranteed for now? Of course not. And the reason being is if anybody, and I watch people, personal friends of mine who have walked in a measure of healing and then re- recount, uh, recounted or, or uh, revoked their, can't, uh, recanted is the word I'm looking for, their <laughs> beliefs about this and now live a gay life. So then the question is, well, obviously they weren't healed. What if healing can take place? You are experiencing all that God has for you, but then you wander away. And you, and you become hungry again for the very thing that you're vulnerable to in the first place. Right. So to answer this question for me, I don't desire to be sexually intimate with a man. I just don't. I, don't, I don't want that. Honestly, it sounds a little gross to me. I don't want to be romantically involved with a man. That's where I'm at because of my walk with the Lord, with others and with my wife. Now, if I stopped walking with the Lord, stopped feasting at his table, stopped hanging out with men, compromised in what I was looking at, was, was not connecting with my wife intimately, could I return to that world? Yes. The answer is yes. Am I healed? Yes. <laughs> could I be in a place where I go back to my own vomit? Yes. It's all of it. So it is something, an ongoing process in life, whether you're married or single, that you consistently and faithfully stay connected with the Lord and continuously receive the very things you need, especially the areas of vulnerability. If your physical body had an area that you needed supplements like your body just naturally needs di- vitamin D pills or whatever C pills you will need that the rest of your life are you walking in healing yeah if you stop taking will you struggle yes <laughs> so it's you need to continue the process that's why we live daily trusting daily we see this example with manna from heaven don't store it up for tomorrow And your confession that you gave last year was only good for last year. You need to confess today too, right? Meaning each day we receive his mercies anew, what? Every day, morning. Every other morning? No, every (laughs) every morning. Which morning is it? (laughs) When am I gonna get it? So I hope that answers the question. It's an ongoing process. We have to continuously trust God through this.
1: And even though I'm not married and I haven't been married, in my healing process, I don't desire women that's been healed for quite a while now and i don't desire to be a man you know my mom said a long time ago that's gross and i kind of agree with her now no offense men um but i desire to be married and that's happened through m- being healed so i don't desire to be a man in fact i i bought a man's shirt the other day because i love the color and i put it on and i was like oh why did i buy this i don't even like it now so You know there's things about me that have totally changed that I just cannot embrace anymore
0: all right great big question here what is a healthy progression across the differing views chart how can we help people to keep moving in their faith journey and not get stuck in a particular place and I I'd like to point out two quick things one is that getting stuck in in these areas is a dangerous place to be I think as I I think I mentioned here it's like we got to move forward or we will move back you, we have to continuously safeguard our souls. We have to constantly be moving toward the kingdom of God and living in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, it goes back. So my, my natural response to this is going left on the chart doesn't take much effort. In fact, just the opposite. You get lazy, it goes this way. Going right on the chart will take spiritual discipline. It will, co- it will create intentionality. And so we need to give people opportunity in the faith to move forward in that. And to, to add to that fourth column, the the difference, slight difference between three and four is that I would ask and encourage everyone to hope for the greatest thing that God would offer us. So we're always hoping toward, again, not the outcome per se, but the hope toward that. The hope toward a restored and healed heart and mind, and a, a newfound desires in our heart. And so even someone in ministry, a leader of mine that's been that shares with me after 20 years are still struggling with desires for the same sex. There's no shame in that, but I would simply ask, and not but, I would simply ask, what else needs to be surrendered and dealt with in your life? Don't be complacent, like, well, I've done 20 years, I've gone through the program, I'm leading groups, and now I'm having these thoughts, but what's going on? Let's look at the deeper issue, not the symptom of this, to move them toward wholeness and healing in the transformational column. Agreed. It is. Uh, is it reasonable to expect that someone with SSA or transgender issues who receive receives the Lord to go directly to column three?
1: No, you have to pass go and collect your two hundred dollars. <laughs> I would say that is an insane expectation. It took me five years to even physically come to a place where I could even think about embracing the outer exterior of being a woman. And beyond that, it still took another three years to get me to a place where I understood that being a woman was good, and I was good, and it was a good thing to embrace, and to also not be in fear of man. I had this fear of men that they were all like my dad, and it wasn't until the Lord said, you know what, they're kind of not like your dad. Not all of them are like your dad. Oh, really? So that gave me a whole different view to begin to look at as far as, are they going to hurt me? How are they going to treat me? I can remember in that process, a man held the door for me. And I walked through, and as I walked through, I said, thank you. That was a huge deal, huge deal. Because after I walked through the door, I'm like, okay, is he going to attack me? What is he going to do? He just went on his way. And it was a simple act of saying, I recognize you as a woman. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to allow you to go first. That undid me because he honored me in that simple act. And it, was, uh, it, it actually empowered me. And it was like, OK, so being a woman is good. I can be recognized as a woman. And it's really not a fearful thing. So you know, from zero to eight years of walking that out, you know there was still a huge amount of healing okay so i've been out for 25 years now and i would say it's pr- i've probably been in column four for i don't know 10 of that maybe you know but even in this last 15 years i'm still healing there's still things that the lord is revealing you know my dad had said something and i didn't know it stuck in my head until someone else says that and i was like oh is that true of women is that true lord is that true of women So it's still coming against those lies that my dad had said to my mom. And um, so uh, going back, I I think it's ridiculous to expect them to be in column three, because that's like going zero to 120 in 1.2 seconds. Who does that?
0: One more. more. And just real briefly on this is that one of the reasons why it might be hard from going from two to three or just directly to three is the identity issue when you're steep in that identity when that's who you believe you are that's your community those are your relationships everything to then come into a faith it's like it's going to be now learning who your true identity is so the realistic expectation of as you will is for them to understand who their identity is in Christ so we have people like I said that come through Portland Fellowship that would say yeah I'm gay I just can't act on it and (laughs) My response is, uh, by the time this program's over, I bet you won't say that. (laughs) Let's just kind of go that route. (laughs) But you have plenty of time. It's like two years long, so hang in there. (laughs) And sure enough, we have testimonies on our newsletter that that share that exact story, in fact, that exact appointment where it's like, yeah, I came in saying this, and then I realized, no, that's not who I am. So let's not have that expectation on them. That's extra pressure. Certainly hope that they would come into the fullness of who they are.
1: Right. Okay, so this question's rather long. During the time you guys were living your past lifestyles, were you ever in a relationship with someone as you felt convicted? During the time you guys were living in your past lifestyles, were you ever in a relationship with someone as you felt convicted? And you felt convicted, okay. Why don't we answer that one? Because the second one is all okay, a and then different. there's the
0: second one. Yeah, real yeah. briefly for me, I, I never was in the lifestyle. I never chose that identity, um, so I don't. I don't have this amazing testimony. I was in the darkness, in the pit of hell, and then Jesus came and arrested me. It's like I was in the church, and I had some struggles, and I needed help, kind of thing. But in the middle of that, I was secretly having relationships with people in high school that we never called it for it being gay but there was inappropriate um, emotional dependency, physical connection. And so yes, there was secrecy going on for sure, which was just eating me alive on the inside. It's like when David cries out, my bones are wasting away the sin within me that's gone unconfessed and I desperately needed it free and to to remove that relationship. So I had to work through both physical connection that was ungodly and unhealthy, but one more element that we didn't talk about today is the emotional connection. Emotional dependency, codependency is huge, and so some would argue, well, if you're not actually doing the nasty thing, but you're in a relationship with someone of the same sex, you know, cuddling, watching movies, you know, then it's okay, right, because you, it's, not, it's the actual sex that's, that's prohibited by God, and that's not the full intention, the intention is where our hearts are and where our needs are, so even that secondary thing is problematic, for two men or two women to have a relationship that is void of sex for the intention of coming together when God has something so much more.
1: Okay, so I think I can answer all of this. Um, Because the second part of that question is, did you and your partner disagree that homosexuality slash transgenderism was wrong? How did you navigate through that? So um, in my past life, I had quite a few girlfriends. Um, and in doing so it was only the ones that I dated for longer than six months that I would disclose to them um, actually I'm a woman and uh, I'm living as a man and they most of them stayed you know I don't know I guess I was cute um, but they they wanted to stay and there was only actually one woman that when I disclosed that to decided that it was just too much that she wanted a man, and that was that. And that was that was hard. That was really hard. It was hurtful. Um, the rejection was hard, though. I always anticipated I would be rejected once I told them, you know, here's the deal. This is, you know, who I used to be. And um, I was surprised when a lot of them stayed. But when she left, I was just like, okay, that's fine. I don't need this either. And um, I guess there was two. There, the second one. She struggled with it, and then she finally came around and said, okay, you know what, I I really like you, I want to stay with you, and I'm like, okay, and so we dated for, I don't know, maybe another month, and she started to struggle again, and finally I just said, you know what, instead of going back and forth like this, I think it's harmful for both of us, so why don't we just break up and call it good? she's like well I don't know and I'm like I do because I don't want to I don't want to keep going in and out like this wondering if you're going to be with me tomorrow or you're going to break up tomorrow so that's that's just too harmful and she's like okay so six months later I come out of the lifestyle and um, the Lord convicted me to talk to her and I had to work up some courage and, but I called her and I met with her and I said, hey, um, the Lord's called me back to being the woman that he created me to be. And I'm here to tell you I'm sorry for the deception um, that, you know, that I lied to you and that I had you believe that I was someone else. And then also trying to to bring you into that deception, to affirm that deception with me that what I was doing was okay and that I wanted your approval for that. And she started crying and she's like, oh my gosh, thank you, because I was so burdened that I was hurting you by rejecting you that I wanted to stay with you to save you from pain. I'm like, no, you did the better choice. (laughs) And so that was a really great resolve um, for me as far as, I guess it was kind of my first place of um, confessing the deception to someone and asking for forgiveness, um, the first steps in that. And actually, it was a great relief um, to, to apologize for the deception.
0: The Can end. we put the laptop back on just for a moment? I mean, from the projector. I just wanted to end I- uh, and just to offer this resource, if you didn't write it down earlier, portlandfellowship.com is the, is the website. We do have online programs that are being used around the world. Um, uh, Take Back Ground, Hope Group, and Reach Truth is designed for youth, young people, they all need a mentor to go through it. So if you know someone that needs to go through this process, you could be their mentor as well through it. And on the resource table back there, feel free to grab a brochure. You go to our website and sign up for our newsletter to get testimonies and encouraging things that we offer. You're certainly welcome to support the ministry of Portland Fellowship as well if that being done online. And then we're available for any follow-up calls or emails.